0: Psalm 36, 5 through 10. You can have a seat. It says this, Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven. Your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your judgment's like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. How priceless your faithful love is, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. For the wellspring of life is with you by means of your light. We see light. Spread your faithful love over those who love you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Lord, as we continue in prayer, we declare that you are faithful. As I consider the past 19 years of ministry in this church, you are faithful. You are faithful to save and to provide to lead, faithful to restore, faithful to heal, to comfort, to strengthen, faithful to reach and draw, faithful to send and equip, faithful to call. Over and over through all the generations, including this local church, you are faithful, you are good, and we, as your people, are grateful as we look ahead to the years We know in confidence that your faithfulness and goodness will remain and will lead and pursue us all the days of our lives. In the years ahead, Lord, do powerful, life-changing, generation-shifting gospel work. You're more than able to do that. Set free the chained up. Shift generational sin cycles radically shift them. May the gospel of God's grace be proclaimed and lived out by this local family of believers, and may your kingdom be expanded as a result, and may you get all the glory. Enable us to to be on mission to make disciples of you from, from our local towns to the nations. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm Jamie Govey, and I'm a covenant member and a Sun Sirs volunteer here. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Let's hear God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friend if you can do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your father should remain, and so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, He will give you. This is what I command you: love one another. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So, if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to uh, John 15. We're in week two of a uh, four-week series that we're calling "Formed." Um, last week we we're in John 10. Today we're in 15. Next couple Sundays we'll be looking at. Jesus' prayer in John 17. One of the big ideas I want us to get as we celebrate 19, as we turn the corner into our 20th year of ministry and mission, is that that we are formed by who we follow. We are formed by who we follow. And for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we are following Him. Our allegiance is to Him. Our devotion is to Him. We follow in the footsteps of disciples like Peter who said that when, when Jesus said to them, Come, come follow me, Peter dropped what he was holding on to and followed. And so we follow in those footsteps. And as a result, Peter, for example, his their heart, their way of life, their beliefs, their actions were then being formed by Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus, the chief shepherd of the flock of God, the head of the body of Christ, is not only saving persons but he's bringing those persons into a people. He's forming a people, a people who will live for his name alone and his glory alone, a people who will together seek to love the Lord with everything they have, love their neighbor as themselves, and go and make disciples of all nations. Brothers and sisters in Christ, because of who we follow, we are being formed into a great commandment and great commission people. And so as we begin this 20th year of ministry, I want us to look at some key teachings of Jesus so that we we might be reminded of who we follow and formed by his words. John 15 is in the midst of what's called the Olivet Discourse of Jesus, this extended teaching of him giving to his disciples as he's nearing the end of his life. And so we'll look at the first 17 verses of John 15. We're going to look at this not necessarily verse by verse, but thematically, and so the text won't be up on your screen, so I encourage you to, if you have a Bible, open it up. But for the most part, I preach from the CSB translation, and in that translation, it uses the word remain. The ESV and other translations uses the word abide. The meaning is the same. To remain or to abide in Jesus means to stay connected to Jesus, like a branch to a vine. So I'll probably be using both words interchangeably, throughout this message. Verse 1, Jesus begins with, I am the true vine. Section starts with, here is who Jesus is. He's continuing to remind his disciples of his identity. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives seven I am statements. Last week, we looked at, I am the good shepherd. Today, this is the last one in the Gospel. He says, I am the true vine. Israel in the Old Testament was sometimes referred to as a vine or vineyard but never as a vineyard that actually produced fruit. Why? Why is that? Well, because Israel failed to remain in the Lord. And as a whole, they notoriously turned toward idolatry and away from abiding in the Lord. But Jesus, He says, that He is the true vine. He came as the one who would not turn toward idolatry, but rather as the one and only Son who did obey the commands perfectly, fulfilling the law, bearing its weight, perfectly, and therefore He could bear the penalty of our sin perfectly, sufficiently. Through faith alone in Him, He not only saves us, but then transforms us, gives us a new spirit so that we might bear fruit as we remain connected to Him, the true vine. So what is this fruit that Jesus is speaking of? Well, Galatians 5 gives us an example. It says that the fruit of the Spirit And then lists seven virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So John 15 is telling us that as we remain in Jesus, spiritual fruit such as that grows in our lives. When we abide in Jesus, He will form us, He will grow in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, none of us Listen to that list and go, we're nailing all nine of those, (laughs) right? I mean, No need for growth here. I'll skip lunch. I'm just going to go home and marvel in my awesomeness of how great I am at these nine virtues. I don't know about the guy next to me, but I am killing it, right? Hopefully none of us do that. For me this summer, the Lord has exposed to me at times an impatient, irritable spirit. Other times where my love for others was lacking, or my peace in the midst of an unknown future was hard to find, anxiety or worry was easy to find, or where the amount of calories I was consuming revealed that my self-control needs to grow a little bit. So what many of us might say this morning, if not all of us in our honest, humble moments, is we desire to see more spiritual fruit grow in our lives. And I'm pretty certain that those closest to us, maybe those who we live with, work with, do life with, serve with, would say, yes, please let the fruit grow in this person's life, right? Form that fruit in their life. So for our good and the good of those around us, starting with those closest to us, let's look at this passage and how it encourages us that as we abide, he bears fruit. We're going to break this down into uh, three sections. First of all, we're going to talk about our position in Christ, and then the practices we live out, out of that position, and then some promises that Jesus gives in this passage. I find five words in here that, tells us, that tell us about our, position, our present position in Christ. If you're a believer in Him today, if you've repented of your sin, trusted in Him for your salvation, this is your present day reality. All by grace alone, through faith alone in Him. Five words. Clean. Remains. Loved, friends, and chosen. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. When He sees you, brother and sister in Christ, he He sees the righteousness of Christ. So this is why we can walk in the light. Because we're not trying to dress ourselves up. We're not trying to come in these doors, for example, on a Sunday morning to put on a show about how our great works are measuring us up. Instead, we walk in the light. We're saved by grace, not by our efforts. You're clean. We are forgiven, righteous because of his work. Hearts washed white as snow. Debt canceled out completely. Jesus is speaking these words to his disciples, including Peter, who in a matter of hours is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. He's going to be scared of the little girl in the courtyard. And yet after the cross and resurrection, after wholeheartedly denying that he even knew Jesus, Peter will be the same one leaping out of the boat, swimming to shore, trying to get as fast as he can back to Jesus. Not rowing away like, oh, heaven's sakes, there's the guy. No, trying to get near him, move toward him, not waiting on the boat to get him there, but wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus because he knows it's by grace and not by works, that he was clean because of the grace of God. Brother and sister, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Verse 4, "...remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself." Unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Jesus tells us to remain in him, but he also tells us here, part of our position in Christ is that he abides in us. He remains in us. This is the same truth spoken of in Galatians 2.20 that Christ lives in us or Colossians 3.3 that we are hidden in him. So Jesus is not far off. He's not distant. He doesn't save and then forsake. He's he's present with us. His spirit dwells in us, empowering the believer from the moment of salvation. Verse 9, then, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you're in Christ, third word, you are loved. You're loved. Charles Spurgeon said this, beloved, you do not, dare not, could not doubt the love of the Father to His Son. It's one of those unquestionable truths about which you never dreamed of holding an argument. Our Lord would have us place His love to us in the same category with the Father's love to Himself. We are to be as confident of the one as of the other. We are to be as confident of His love toward us as we are confident of the Father's love for the Son, Jesus. In Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19, Paul prays this, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Our present position, if you're in Christ, is that you are loved. Loved with a never-ending personal love unchanging, constant love, love that is wider and longer, higher and deeper than you and I can imagine. And that we will spend the rest of our lives growing in both the knowledge of and the experience of. Verse 15, Jesus calls believers his friends. I've called you you friends, he says, because I've made known to you everything I have heard from my father. The identity as friends reflects an intimacy, a relationship with the one who created the universe. Last night, that storm blew through, the stars were out so bright, weren't they? The one that set those stars into motion personally knows you, loves you, calls you friend. At the time for a rabbi to to treat a disciple as a friend, it was unheard of. It was not expected, but here we see Jesus calling His disciples, His followers, friends. Yes, we are servants of the Lord. Scripture teaches us that elsewhere, but but here we are also reminded that we are friends. so, So we're not just called to work for the Lord or with the Lord, but to enjoy friendship with the Lord. Enjoy time with the Lord. Enjoy communion with Him in His creation. Enjoy communion with Him in His Word and in the gathering of brothers and sisters in fellowship. Verse 16, then the last word he tells, tells us believers are chosen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. As one theologian says, we are in Christ, not because we hold him, but because he holds us. What Jesus isn't doing here in verse 16 is disregarding how the disciples chose to follow Jesus and drop their nets and drop what they're holding on to and follow wholeheartedly after him. He is saying, though, ultimately, the Lord knew before the foundation of the earth that they would trust in Him, that they would drop what they were holding on to and follow. He fixed His love upon them. Ephesians 1 speaks to this, this truth of election or predestination. And that doctrine is an overwhelmingly encouraging truth because of two big reasons. One is that we can rest. We can rest in the truth that it's not by our grip that we are held in His hand, but it's by His doing. It's by grace. So when we completely blow it, when we completely blow it, and we've all been there, that grace doesn't call us to row the boat further away from Him. It calls us to swim ashore. It calls us to pursue Him, run back to Him. The grace that changes us, the grace that calls us home, grace that reminds us that repentance is sweet, that leads to freedom, grace that reminds us we are new creations in Christ so we can walk in the light of His goodness, His holiness, His truth. We are in Christ because He holds us. The other encouraging truth about election is that we know that others have yet to respond to the gospel. Others have yet to respond in faith and repentance, that the Lord is at work in them, drawing them to Himself so we can confidently share the gospel knowing some are going to respond. And we can reject thinking that someone's response is, is on our ability. The Lord saves. Our role is to witness, to be ambassadors, to show, to tell, to share, to teach. He saves. So we can rest in that. We can also share confidently knowing He saves. And He will save those that He loves. Those that He fixed His love upon before the foundations of the earth. Our position in Christ is we are clean in Him, forgiven of our our sin. He abides in us. He's present with us. We are loved like the Father loves the Son. We are His friends and we are chosen, known before the foundations of the earth, held securely in His mighty hand. And remember, this identity that we have in Christ is given to us by grace. We didn't go out and earn it, but received it as a sweet and good gift. And then out of that present position we have in Christ, he lays out some practices that we live out. Please see that sequence. We don't pursue these things. We don't do these things in order to stay in that position or gain that position. No, this is by grace alone. This is who we are in Christ, and as a result... This is how we live because we've been changed from the inside out. Jesus gives us three here. The first is this. We've been called to remain in Him. Remain meaning abide, dwell, marinate to go deeper, make your home in, plant yourself in Him. The picture of vine and branches emphasizes complete dependence. And in the different metaphors of the church given in the New Testament, you see that theme of dependence. For instance, the body is dependent upon the head, Jesus Christ. The flock is dependent upon Jesus, the good and chief shepherd. The branch that is called to bear fruit is completely dependent upon the vine. When we were in Florida in July, we went to the Naples Botanical Garden. I don't know if it's because we are now empty nesters or I'm in my mid-40s, but we went to a botanical garden. (laughs) It's not something we always did when we were like 19 and 20 on our honeymoon or something. But it's fabulous. You should go. If you're Captain Thrifty, it's free, okay? But your kids would love it. It's, it's phenomenal just to be able to see the creativity of the Lord around the globe and what they have there. But here's one picture we took because, or I took, Heather took like 200 pictures. I took one. I'm like, oh, I can use that for a sermon because <laughs> this is, you're always preparing, unfortunately or fortunately, one of the two. But the fruit that is growing on this branch is only growing because it's drawing nutrients from the vine that it's attached to. And notice that some of the fruit seems ripe in color, a little more mature, and other spots are still green but growing. So as it is, as we remain in Him and live in utter dependence upon Him, fruit's going to grow at different rates, not overnight. It's going to grow at different times. We could go back through those nine things and say, for instance, well, love seems, it's really grown over here, but, but peace, it's growing, but a little more green. We could talk about the, the differences that we have, the spectrum of how the Lord is growing fruit. But as we remain connected, He's doing that work. Remember the context, Jesus is approaching the cross. He wants these disciples to know they can still and should remain in Him even after He ascends to heaven that He will remain in them and He will be present with them. See, there's a mutual aspect to this relationship. The branch is dependent upon the vine, and the vine gives life to the branch. And here's the reality that we all face. At times, we've all abided in lesser things. We've dwelt in, marinated in, made our home in lesser things, things of this earth, things of our flesh, things of patterns of this world, in other vines that don't lead to the fruit of the Spirit but lead to fruit of a sin-oriented flesh. And Galatians 5 gives examples of those. Idolatry, sexual immorality, drunkenness, envy, strife, outbursts of anger. There are things in our lives that can lead us to a growing love, For Jesus, and there are things that can lead us away. There there are things that can dull our affections and numb our awareness of His presence, or that can quicken our affections and increase our awareness. I pray that we would be a people, because of our position in Him, that we would be a people prone to put to death and put off the things of our old creation and put on the things of the new creation in Christ that we have. Here's what we all know. Every relationship that is important to us, we abide in. We remain in. We make time for. In other words, we are willing to abide in what is most important to us. You and I remain connected to what is most valuable to us. And those things that we are seeing as valuable are forming us. They're forming us. And so we must turn from placing lesser things up as greatest things, a.k.a. Idolatries is the Bible word for that. and turn toward loving Jesus with all that we have, and doing that alongside the family of God, turning toward prayerful time in His word, in His presence, in His creation, with His people. So remaining in Him, that's one practice, the next couple, which I won't spend near as long on. keep His commands. It shows up twice in the section verses 10 and 14. We obey the Lord out of our identity in Him. Jesus is not saying, you obey me and then I'll love you. But as you grow in my love for you, as you make that your home, Jesus is saying, you'll obey my commands. Because as 1 John 5.3 tells us, His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. His way of life actually leads to life. The vine leads to life and fruit in the branch and the other practice Jesus calls us to here is to love one another the life of remaining in the love of Jesus leads to a life that loves one another in the family of God remember he's telling this to his disciples knowing he's going to physically leave them and so when he's no longer physically with them he's he's going he's charging them keep loving one another Church, this is the bedrock of what it looks like for us to be the church. Loving one another, reflecting the extravagant love that we have received from, vertically from the Lord and then displaying that horizontally to those around us. You see in each of these practices of remaining, keeping commands, loving one another, Jesus went first. He went first. So we can do these things because the true vine went first And as we abide in Him, He will bear much fruit. And finally, there are some promises made in this text. First of all, there's a warning to unbelievers. Verse 6, If anyone does not remain in Me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So what is Jesus saying here? Is He saying that if you don't do enough or accomplish enough or build a good enough resume, grow enough fruit of the Spirit that you'll be tossed aside. No, he's not saying that. It is not, well, you're clean and loved and friends and chosen, but, well, you didn't do enough, so get out. Not at all. John 6, 35 through 40, and John 10, 27 through 29, speak to the security we have of being a believer. Because, again, remember, it's by his grip that we are held Instead, Jesus here is giving a warning to people who on the outside might appear to be bearing fruit, but they don't actually know the Lord. He addresses the same group in Matthew 7. People who come to him saying, hey, we did all these things for you. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Meaning, I never remained in you and you never remained in me. You never connected your life to me. You never actually had a relationship with me. You might have hung some fruit upon a dead tree and and said to the world, see, look, I'm doing some things. But nothing actually changed on the inside. The root of your life, the core of your life, didn't surrender to Him. And so Jesus is giving this sober warning that to know of Jesus or know about Jesus is radically different than actually knowing Him as Lord and Savior personally in relationship. I pray that we would be a people who would heed this warning of Jesus Jesus and say, Lord, I surrender all of me to you. Change me from the inside out. Grow this spiritual fruit in my life and don't let me settle for outward image management that doesn't actually lead to joy or rest or salvation. Then he makes three promises to believers. Answered prayer, verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. So the goal of answer prayer is not to make much of the disciple, but of the Father who's then glorified. And the more we dwell in the Lord and marinate in His Word, the more our prayer life will reflect His heart, will, and desire. See, the branch that bears fruit points back to the vine in which the life-giving nutrients come from. The more we remain in Him, the more our affections and desires become a growing reflection of His The next promise, verse 11. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So the promise of joy, that joy would be complete. Notice the verse before. If you keep my commands, if you remain in my love, it will lead to joy that is complete, full, abundant. Obedience to the Lord leads to our joy. Our flesh, the world around us, wants us to believe the exact opposite. That obedience to the Lord leads to drudgery and groaning and despair. But remember His words, His commands are not burdensome. They they lead to life. The Lord is for our joy here. We abide in Him not because we have to, but because we get to, because it leads to a joy that is complete. The gospel of God's grace leads to freedom, not slavery. And freedom is a place of joy. The last promise He makes to us as we remain in Him is that He will produce fruit. In the the case of Galatians 5, that we'll see attributes and virtues and characteristics like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control grow in our lives. Who doesn't want that? Who around us doesn't want to see that grow in us? If you remain in Jesus, your life will bear fruit. It's a promise. It is not if. Well, you might grow fruit. He might produce Christ-likeness in you. No, it's a promise. He makes the same promise in the negative sense in verse 4 when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit of the Spirit won't be growing in your life. So he promises to produce fruit, and at the same time, he promises that pruning Will happen in our lives. It is not if pruning will happen, but when. Notice that in this picture of vine and branches, there is no branch that is left untouched. Verse 2 Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Brothers and sisters, expect pruning it's going to happen. Why? Because He loves us, and He loves us enough to change us and form us. The Lord prunes, and yet we grow. He's saying there's fruit in your life. For instance, there's faithfulness, love, goodness, but I want your joy to be even greater. I want the fruit to grow even larger. I want the good that your life will bring to your soul, let alone those around you. I want it to be even that much more impactful, and so I'm going to do some pruning in your life. He doesn't prune to punish, He doesn't prune to penalize. He prunes so that our lives might bear more fruit. He prunes as He loves and holds us in His grip. A father, tenderly, not hacking but tenderly holding His children, pruning things away for our good, for our joy, for the good of those around us. I hope you see that. The Father's tender care for you, pruning for your good and for my good. What is the Lord pruning in your life right now? Where are you resisting that pruning? What is he desiring to snip away or cut back so that you might abide more fully in him? What lesser thing needs to go by the wayside? brother and sisters, say yes to the pruning. Say yes to it. Because there's more fruit to be had in your life. There's more joy. There's more freedom to be had on the other side of the pruning. What habit and rhythm in belief is he's snipping away so that you and I would discover more and more his great love for us and the freedom that we have in the gospel. Pruning doesn't mean painless. My own testimony could attest to that. And so can yours. But you know what it's led to oftentimes? Often only seen in hindsight is the pruning's led to more patience, more gentleness, more faithfulness, more love, a growing peace, a growing goodness. So that tells me that pruning is worth it. It brings good to my soul, let alone those closest to me, starting with my wife, my kids. It brings good to the people I work with and serve with. It brings good to the church that I'm a part of. It brings good to the community that I call home. It brings good to the kingdom that I'm a part of. And so may we be a people who remain in Him and encourage one another to pursue abiding in Him as a way of life. Jesus, thank You that because of Your gospel, we are clean in You, forgiven. forgiven of our sin and washed white as snow, that we are clean, that we are covered in Your righteousness and that You took on our unrighteousness. Thank You that You abide in us, You're present with us that we are so deeply loved loved like the father loves the son and thank you that we can call you friend thank you that you have chosen us not because of our merits but your grace alone draw more people to yourself bring more and more people to a trusting and saving knowledge of who you are enable us by your spirit and your lavish grace and the encouragement of our fellow brothers and sisters around us to remain in you and keep your commands and love one another because you first loved us Thank you for these fellow branches of mine who I get to do life with. Form us in your image, Lord, our life giving vine. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we move into the next year, if, if I could just encourage you as we finish in prayer, would you hold out your hands like this in just an act of dependence upon the Lord, both individually as our persons, but collectively as the people of God? that Good Shepherd, we depend upon you. We want to be a people who follow you, who hold loosely the things of this earth, who die to self and follow you and know that in you, life and joy, purpose, mission is found. Be glorified through our way of life as your people through all the generations. We trust that you're able to do that. We want to live as people with open hands of surrender before you. For your glory alone and your name alone. We pray this in your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians. Starting in uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.